When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, where we bring you complete Miami Marlins coverage. Reportedly, Frankie Pillieri is going to be the Marlins' new director of amateur scouting, leading the MLB draft process for this team moving forward. Does he have what it takes to take draft-eligible players and project what they're going to be in the big leagues, we have the receipts to show you during the course of this episode that I think you're going to enjoy. A couple of programming notes to get to right here. Like, subscribe, rate and review us wherever applicable and whatever podcast provider you prefer. On YouTube, if you're watching me right now, so close to 2,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, Fish on First. Even if you don't watch your podcast over there, check out Fish on First there for other YouTube exclusive video content that we only put over there for that portion of our audience. Your support greatly appreciated. So close to reaching that 2K milestone. Um, if you enjoy what we're doing over there, recommend it to somebody else to subscribe over there. Totally free for you to subscribe. But of course, it helps us grow as with our Marlins coverage over there. For our Apple subscribers, Apple Podcasts, we've been working through an issue with them the last few weeks. As of this exact recording, it's still not totally resolved, but we know what the issue is. We think we're on the verge of flipping the switch back on with our Apple Podcasts channel. Uh, apologies for the inconvenience, and hopefully that is resolved by the time you listen to this. We are really close to cracking that code that uh, over the last few weeks has stopped people from getting our pods over there. On Fish on First, every uh, at least once a week during the offseason and twice a week during the regular season, we do live streams, Fish on First Live. The last few years, it's been, I think, close to three full years now that we've been doing it. Simulcast already on, on Twitter, YouTube, and typically on Twitch. We're, we're making a couple interesting changes to that moving forward. We're now bringing in Instagram Live as one of our outlets. So it'll be YouTube Twitter, Instagram Live, people can watch that show, typically an hour long. And during the offseason, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time has been our routine. More specifically on Twitter, for the last year plus, they took away the ability for people's live comments to appear in our studio and for us to share them on the screen. It had been since then. We've been limited to just YouTube and Twitch and occasionally Facebook. We weren't able to integrate our Twitter comments the way that we wanted to, and that is now been fixed. Thank you to Elon Musk for finally straightening that out, even though he may have been the one standing in the way of that integration in the first place. If you don't already tune into those streams, or if you have kind of, for whatever reason, you haven't been, uh, this is now an additional incentive for our typical Twitter audience to do that, because your comments will now appear on us, and we'll be able to show them and respond to them, and really integrate it in a way that we haven't before. A usual reminder, our 
Marlin's Discord server partnership, still very much in tech. We appreciate everybody that has signed up for that this offseason. Totally free for you to join, but we do have a special channel only for our paid super subscribers. Marlin's Discord, you can find the invite to that in the description of this podcast episode in case you aren't already over there. So I think that about covers it for the moment. Myself, joined by Hector Rodriguez of the Fish on First Staff on the other side of this break as we get into Frankie Pilieri, his track record as a public draft analyst. Yeah, what to expect from this guy that is now wielding a whole lot of responsibility for the way that the Marlins acquire amateur talent moving forward. Enjoy. One of the biggest additions to the Marlins so far this offseason is not a player himself, but somebody that should have a loud voice in selecting many Marlins players of the future moving forward. Not official yet, but as reported by multiple places, Frankie Pilieri taking over as the Marlins director of amateur scouting, filling the shoes of DJ Svillick. Coming over from the Mariners after spending the last six years in Seattle, the last three as their assistant of amateur assistant director of amateur scouting, a natural step up for him in the process here. On this show, he has a unique background in that right before going back into the pro baseball world, he was on the public side, kind of like us, writing about baseball, specifically writing about the draft process for D1 baseball which means that his takes and his analysis about amateur prospects were for the world to see. And given, um, as we'll get into, we found some of his workings from that time period and enough time has passed given that people are so curious about how Pilieri is going to translate to the Marlins organization. We thought it'd be very topical to take a look back at what he was saying about players that were available in the draft at that time, now with six and a half, seven and a half years of hindsight to see how that turned out and potentially get a feel for his perspective on all this and how it could change the way that the Marlins go about the draft process moving forward. Naturally, I brought on our biggest draft expert here at Fish One First. It's Hector Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. How, how are you doing, Hector? How are you feeling about this, this premise for a pod episode? I'm good, Eli. Thanks for having me on again. You know, I'm just excited, you know, for, you know, the baseball season to come back. And, you know, it looks like the Marlins are completely tearing down, you know, everything that they had previously built. And they're starting brand new um, with, the, with, the, with the new general manager. And one of those things that I think needed to be changed was director of amateur scouting because, for the most part, the draft hasn't been that great for the Marlins. So... I think this was a necessary move, and I think we're going to get to learn a lot about Frankie during this podcast and, you know, see, you know, possibly, you know, what he likes in certain prospects with all these articles that he had written on D1 Baseball. Yeah, I'll be sharing four separate articles from right after the 2016 draft and the 2017 draft. Those were the final two drafts he was a public-facing analyst before going over to work for Seattle. Those are the ones we're going to scroll through here. If you are one of our super subscribers of Fish on First, I'm going to be uploading PDFs of these articles to that Discord channel, the Marlins Discord server and our super subscriber channel. So if you guys want to read through it at your own pace, we're just going to be skimming through like highlighted sections of them on here just in the interest of time. But we are going to be sharing those exclusively with our super subscribers over there. This is from D1 Baseball. And 
Pilieri wrote hundreds of articles for them over the span of just a couple of years before going back onto the team side of things. Uh, we're naturally not going to share all the articles from the subscription site. If you are really interested in college baseball, highly recommend subscribing to D1 Baseball yourself if you want to pour through the big archive that Pilieri had over there, as well as obviously the more recent analysis and the 24 draft analysis, for example, that they do over there. Yeah, go ahead and give them money in addition to perhaps the money you give to us already as a super subscriber that we greatly appreciate. One other caveat here being that this is I this time window works out really well in that most players drafted 2016, 2017, that especially those that were drafted in the early rounds, you'd expect them to be in the big leagues by now, and if not already be significant contributors to the big leagues. So it gives us this passage of time. We have a pretty good idea about whether he was on the mark or off the mark with some of these prognostications that he had. That being said, this shouldn't be, we're not trying to paint the whole picture of who he is right now. This has been a long passage of time. And you'd assume that working on the pro side, he's learned a thing or two uh, through all the information that they have over there, and that he's perhaps a more sophisticated analyst and evaluator of talent now than he was back then. So this is just an ex really just more for fun than for insights it's a balance of both because i imagine that for him to get this position he would he certainly had to do well with seattle these last few years and impress the marlins in some capacity to uh to earn this opportunity so don't hold any of his possible misfires against uh pillary as, as we go through them right here starting with from the 2016 draft this first article, it's titled his day one thoughts from the first day of that 2016 uh, draft, where we're just reacting to the picks that were made during the first couple rounds of that draft class. This again from D1Baseball.com. Pilieri writes, while the early part of the first round played out in a relatively predictable fashion, things got wild as we saw some top talent slide and some other players picked that raised some eyebrows. His, his first Subsection here is on the Phillies' decision with the first overall pick. He writes, There is much debate in the scouting world among pundits as to whether the Phillies did the right thing taking prep outfielder Mickey Moniak with the number one overall pick. From this analyst's perspective, they did the right thing. So he's going out on the limb already in favor of what was at the time a pretty divisive decision to not go best talent available. But as he explains in here about the money aspect of it and that the Phillies want to preserve some of their bonus pool for subsequent picks they went with mickey moniak and as you guys know now in hindsight moniak was pretty much a bust when he was with the phillies although he did have a pretty interesting hot streak this past year since he's been traded over to the angels scrolling down here mariners get their man he writes the seattle mariners and their scouting department have had an affinity for kyle lewis since they first laid eyes on him in the cape cod league last summer that's going to be a theme here he was really locked in on the Cape Cod League, spent a ton of time over there in previous years. So he, um, a lot of his insights on players, he, he puts a lot of weight towards their Cape Cod League performance and insists that teams do it as well. He continues that the Mariners just landed a player that could have easily been the number one pick, and they did it outside the top 10. This is a huge victory, he says about Kyle Lewis. As we found out with Lewis, he won the American League Rookie of the Year in 2020. Since then, injuries, mainly to his knees, have really held him back from building upon that. 
Pilieri thought the Red Sox had a brilliant day one, and he said that based on Jason Groom and C.J. Chatham. Um, if, if those names don't really ring a bell for you, neither of them have even made it to the big leagues yet. And here he was praising them for making them very early round picks. He thought uh, Pilieri was really in favor of Cal Quantrill at the time selected by the Padres, saying that with their first pick, the Padres may have had the pick of the entire draft with Cal Quantrill. He has had a couple great seasons with Cleveland since being traded over there, but most recently coming off a bad 2023, he got DFA'd. He got claimed by the Rockies. I think it was a small trade the Rockies made to get him this past offseason. Um, and so his career, a bit of in suspense right now. On the Cardinals nabbing sliding stars, he wrote that St. Louis jumped up to grab power switch hitting prep outfielder Dylan Carlson. And that was an excellent, savvy selection. Carlson, after that, he went on to establish himself, at least during the minor leagues, as one of the very best hitting prospects in all of baseball. It hasn't really clicked at the big league level, though, where he's been more of a league average guy, perhaps not even quite that much. He thought the Mets... They love the arms that the Mets picked in the first day of this draft. T potential top-of-the-rotation arms in uh, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay. At least those guys made it to the big leagues, but they certainly haven't lived up to, to that big praise. And just the final couple bits here, he had high praise for the Braves landing young pitchers Ian Anderson, Joey Wentz, and Kyle Muller. Kind of a mixed bag there. Ian Anderson was pretty awesome for the Braves in 2020, 2021, then got hurt. Uh, Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller didn't do much for the Braves, but they were trade trips that they used to get a lot better and address other needs. Uh, on Brian Reynolds, calling him a steal for the Giants, he writes that Reynolds is highly disciplined as a defensive asset and has shown 20 home run power. Getting him all the way down at the 59th pick is an outstanding second round value. And uh, spoiler, that's probably the biggest, the best take that he had in any of these articles praising Brian Reynolds, who has since gone on to be an all-star player for the Pirates, signed the biggest contract in Pirates history, an eight-year deal. And, of course, he, his name came up a lot in Marlins rumors the previous couple of years when they tried to trade for him to be their everyday center fielder. And then lastly was some praise for Jake Fraley going to the Rays. He recently had a nice year with Cincinnati in uh, 2023. Any particular take, Hector, from that this piece stand out for you? Um, considering how it's aged and what we now know about these players seven years later. I mean, damn, he almost hit the Brian Reynolds pick, you know, evaluation on the nose. I mean, that was, I mean, he didn't do it for the Giants because he ended up getting traded to Pittsburgh. But, you know, Reynolds has been a, a very, very good outfielder. Just signed a nice big extension with the Pirates. So he'll be, you know, arguably the face of the franchise for the next couple of years. Like, you know, like you said, highly disciplined hitter, good switch hitter, really good outfielder, you know, guy that played very well at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, everyone knows, is one of the best college baseball programs in the country. 20 home run power. That's pretty accurate when it comes to Brian Reynolds. I think you could see him get up to 30 maybe on a good year as he gets closer to his prime years. And to get that type of player, the 59th overall pick, that was an absolutely, you know, spectacular pickup by the Giants, you know, they just ended up trading him and the Pirates have been able to benefit, you know, from what the Giants selected. 
There's a second part of this article now from after day two of the uh, 2016 draft. So these are players selected from the third through the 10th rounds of that draft class going back to seven and a half years from now. Uh, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because what he did is he just shouted out a bunch of names from every single round, um, most of whom, uh, unfortunately for him, I haven't really heard of, meaning that they have not even made any dent in the big league since then. That's kind of what you'd expect, though, when you're dealing with these later round picks. Once you get outside the first couple of rounds, it gets even more tricky to make these calls and, and figure out who has not even regular major league regular potential, but chance to even stick in the big leagues as in any sort of role on and off moving forward. His day two breakdown from Frankie Pilieri back when he was with division one baseball, he was pretty high on the shortstop Cole Stubb. Stubb? Stubb? I don't know how to pronounce his last name for sure. S T O B B E. He was a Phillies pick. This was one of the best pure bats to come out of the prep class in 2016 and to land him in the third round is a major score for the Phillies. Well, apparently not <laughs> as time has passed on. I, I really wanted to emphasize this evaluation he had of Jesus Lazardo. That rings a bell to most people. Lazardo now in the Marlins rotation. As of this recording, Lazardo has now been mired in some trade rumor speculation as one of the one of the very best available pitchers in baseball, the Marlins do decide to move him coming off a crazy year. But back then, he was just a third-round pick of the Nationals. Pilieri wrote, if he comes back in peak form from Tommy John surgery, he may we may one day revisit this as the best value pick in the 2016 draft. Jesus Lazardo has the potential to be that good. He shouts out his solid fastball velocity from the left side, his athletic frame, his above average breaking ball and changeup. All that coupled with advanced potential above average command absolutely nailed that evaluation. As, as we found out, it took a while for Lizardo to fully realize that at the big league level. But these last two seasons with the Marlins, when he has been healthy, he has been a frontline starter. One, two. And that is 201, surpassing Al Leiter, who had 200 strikeouts in 1996, most by a lefty in Marlins franchise history. It, it took a few teams for him to get there, from the Nationals to the A's and then traded to Miami. This is what the new Marlins scouting director was saying at the time about a baby Lizardo. This other one, he, he nailed quite a bit in the fourth round, Corbin Burns out of St. Mary's going to the Brewers saying that Burns could have easily gone in the top 50 picks and that this is a super bargain in the fourth round. Burns went on to win the National League Cy Young Award recently with Milwaukee, and he is just like Zardo. He's now one of the better available pitchers potentially on the trade market. So that was um, a good shout-out by him. A lot of these other names, though, you won't recognize much. Only a few that are actual big leaguers like Bobby Dahlbeck. He liked that pick in the fourth rounds, going to the fifth. Most of these names, really nobody of note, uh, at least as they turned out all those years later. The seventh rounds. Then in the eighth, Andre Scrub is at least somebody uh, I've recognized the name coming up as a reliever with the Dodgers and I believe more recently with the Astros. So at least he made it up as a reliever. But for the most part, these other uh, day two picks of his didn't stand out. He was really on the Lazardo one, wasn't he? Uh, the only thing is he sold him short on uh, the fastball velo. 
saying that at the time he was in the low 90s and 91 to 94. And as we know, this past season, Lazardo was sitting in the high 90s from the left side. This, that was a pretty fascinating career arc he had, uh, isn't it? That came in as this guy with really great potential, but those injury concerns. And now all these years later, he has kind of come up, realized this vision that Pilieri had for him way back then. Yeah, and I think w- one of the reasons why Lazardo ended up falling, besides just the fact that he did get the, you know, he did have TJ surgery, was because of that injury, there was a lot of people that thought that he could have gone to college and pitched for the Miami Hurricanes because that was the school he was signed and committed to. But I remember the Nationals, you know, I think paid a little bit over overslot value in order to make sure that he ended up going with them instead of, signing, you know, honoring his commitment to the U. Obviously, great, great, you know, analysis. Honestly, undersells him a little bit. I know at the time his fastball was only 91-94, but we've seen, you know, as he's matured physically and the elbow's gotten stronger thanks to the, you know, the recovery process of Tommy John surgery. It's also helped clean up his mechanics, which has also helped with his velocity increase. And that's why we're seeing him – sitting in the upper 90s and why he's sitting, you know, you know, one of the top pitchers when it comes to sitting Velo, um, Corbin Burns, what a pickup, you know, probably if Corbin Burns played at another school other than St. Mary's, if he played at a power five school, chances are he goes in the top 50 picks, but St. Mary's doesn't play a lot of great competition, not really a school known for, you know, great baseball, but, you know, props to, Frankie and the Brewers organization for recognizing the talent that Corbin Burns had. Even the velo right now is a little bit faster, a little bit, it was a little bit harder than what he did throw in college. But like I said, a lot of that comes with just physically maturing as you get, as you go up through the minor league system. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, very true, a boomer bust type player, but you know, as a fourth round pick in baseball, you'll, you'll, you'll take a player like that. A guy that could be a, that has a lot of power and has that potential to be a, you know, just a quality bat in the big leagues. Another, a couple of names that we had passed by that I recognized was in the third round, Sean Anderson. Um, I forgot what team he was taken by, by the Red Sox, 88th overall. He was a closer at the University of Florida. He was a guy that got up to the big leagues actually relatively quickly and pitched well in 2020. But in the past couple of seasons, he just hasn't been the same. I know. The last time we saw him pitch was in 2020. It was one game with Toronto, and it was a mop-up role. But, man, he he just didn't look like the same guy that we had seen at the University of Florida. This was a guy that broke the saves record at UF and had that mid to upper 90s fastball that you thought, hey, you know what? This is a guy that you could stick in the big leagues. You know, he might not be a frontline starter, but he could be a quality bullpen arm or – a you know middle or back end of the rotation. One more guy I wanted to talk about from this part um, article was from the seventh round, the lefty out of the University of Miami, Willie Abreu. Might have been the sixth round, actually. Sixth or seventh, Willie Abreu. There we go. Got drafted by the Rockies. Honestly, I like – I played against Willie. So <laughs> he's from Matter Academy. I saw him hit a ton. He, he looked like a guy that you thought could just make it to the big leagues, you look at his phys- like his physique. He looked like a very mature. He looked like a guy that could handle fastball. He could hit for power and hit for contact. 
He was a very good hitter at Miami. For some reason, it just didn't work out in the Rockies organization. I think he made it all the way up to AAA, but just kind of phased out over there. But, I mean, this was a guy that I guess you could say one negative about him was he was more of a 4 o'clock hitter than 7 o'clock at times mm-hmm. yeah. because you could see the effortless raw power and batting practice, but sometimes it wouldn't translate to the games, especially against tougher competition. You know, when Miami played against smaller schools and, you know, programs that didn't have elite pitching, he would be able to dominate. And against tougher competition, you know, it was a little bit more Zach Collins picking him up instead of Willie Abreu doing most of the damage. But Willie Abreu, I still thought, could have been a big leaguer because just his format. Now let's look ahead to the 2017 draft. This was Frankie Pilieri's final one on as a public uh, writer before going back to the team side, getting hired by the Mariners. And he had a similar assignment in, in this his coverage with D1 Baseball where he had one piece about day one of the draft and then another one about day two. Reading what from what he wrote here with D1 Baseball, while the early part of the first round played out in a relatively predictable fashion, things took some wild turns as we saw some talent slide, some other players picked that surprised us. So once again, he weighs in on the number one overall pick. It was Royce Lewis going to the Twins, who, in based on his recollection at the moment, uh, Brendan McKay, being a two-way player coming out of college, he was the one that was generally considered to be the more in-demand prospect. But uh, Pilieri comes out in defense of Royce Lewis, saying that this guy um, is that special, even though he is has less of a track record as an amateur because he's just coming out of high school, that his plus bat speed is potential to be a 25 home run bat at the next level. The Twins didn't just take a player who would be a bargain to sign. They signed a potential superstar that they can put in the middle of the diamond for years to come. Royce Lewis, unfortunately, has had a ton of injury issues since then when he has been on the field and at the big league level. He has been shown the potential to be somebody that could be a star. So his story is still yet to be written, but the the Twins are moving into 2024, kind of expecting him to be an everyday player for him. He set some sort of grand slam record uh, last year when he has been in the majors. Uh, Almost all his home runs come with the bases loaded. So this one is still... It's justified in hindsight just because Brendan McKay, unfortunately, uh, did not live up to the promise that he had. Um, he was chosen by the Rays in that scenario. This section about Kyle Wright going to the Braves, uh, kind of a complicated one to unpack in hindsight. Pilieri said that Atlanta got one of the best values in the draft, just five picks into the proceedings. And Wright it took a long time to figure things out at the big league level. Then it really popped in 2022 when he won 21 games for the Braves. He was a well above average starter that year. And then this past year hurt his shoulder again, putting his career kind of in jeopardy. Um, so an unusual career arc that Wright has had at his peak though, you'd have to say that his best season to this point uh, in 2022 was more impressive than Hunter green or Brendan McKay, or even Royce, Royce Lewis, just because of how valuable he was near the top of that bridge rotation that year. Uh, Pilieri was a big fan of what the Astros did. They got outstanding value in picking up North Carolina ace J.B. Buscacus and Texas A&M right-hander Corbin Martin was Houston's third pick, and he may very well be looked back on as one of the steals of this draft. Both of those guys coincidentally involved in the same trade to bring Zach Greinke to the Astros. A reminder here that when you are making picks in the draft, 
as much as it's a dream to have all of them become homegrown talents for your own organization, it is still important to have guys simply mature as prospects so that if they're needed in a trade, that their value goes up from draft night to that trade. At least in this case, both of those guys were pretty significant assets at the time, and they were part of that deal to bring Zach Greinke to Houston for, I think it was two and a half seasons where he pitched pretty well. So that one, yeah, not a total whiff, even though they didn't do anything for the Astros. They haven't done much in the big league since. They're still, um, they were still progressing nicely as prospects the first couple of years. Pilieri was pretty high on Clark Schmidt, who, similar to Lazardo, um, the previous year, he was coming off of Tommy John, and so his career was his pro career was being delayed because he was still recovering from that. Except in this case, he didn't really slide in the draft. He was still 15th overall pick. And he writes, they may have ended up getting a steal as a result of that. Schmidt this past year was in the Yankees rotation the whole year, but more of a four or a number five starter than somebody with huge upside. It looks like. And then another familiar name to Marlins fans talking about the white Sox here in the 2017 draft Pilieri writes, they got their man on Monday in Jake Berger, the Missouri State slugger that they seem to have coveted for months. Berger should advance quickly on the strength of his right-handed power and outstanding plate discipline. Interesting. So now Berger, it took him a little longer to get to the big leagues, similar to Royce Lewis, just unfortunate injury luck uh, where he ruptured his Achilles a couple times and then the pandemic took away some developmental time that Berger reached the big leagues a little later than expected. As you know, this past season, both for the White Sox and then especially after getting traded to Miami, he was extraordinarily impactful as a slugger in the middle of that lineup. And yeah, this final note on his a sweeping conclusion that Pilieri made about the draft process at this time, about how hitters with power, even though ones that weren't necessarily well-rounded hitters, were again coming off the board early. If you can prove that you can hit the long ball, the draft in this era of thinking is going to treat you extremely well. That conclusion, it's not so much about batting average at this stage that having the ability to, to slug is um, super powerful. So I want your take, Hector, on like that last part about the idea that players could go super early in the draft even if they're not extremely well-rounded hitters, even in college, that if it's power over everything else, that that can still, are you noticing that those guys can still go really near the top of the draft, even if they have potentially some limitations, as long as they have power, that that is something that is the team's put a big premium on in this day and age? I think it depends on certain teams. If teams can feel like they can f develop that hitting tool, like, you know, getting them an actual approach, you know, having them, you know, think more of instead of, hey, just go deep, you know, have a, a game plan before you step up to the plate, you know, because honestly, you really can't teach power that much. You you know, some guys just have it. And, you know, when you look at this list, you're looking at a Jake Berger, you're looking at Brent Rucker and Gavin Sheets and Pavin Smith. These are guys that are contributing in the big league level. Um, Gavin, who wasn't really a big-name college player, but he's been starting for the Chicago White Sox. Now, if you look at his war, his war is pretty down because, I mean, he's only batting 203, but his um, but his um, his power, you know, he said 
11, 15, and 10 home runs. He's a guy that will probably start for the White Sox again. Also, his defense is terrible. Like, he's just – if he could just DH that, they'll be perfectly okay with that. Berger obviously has turned it up. You know, last year he had an incredible season. And, you know, the Marge are looking for more of that. And Brent Rooker was an all-star. Granted, you know, he was an all-star because Oakland needed a representative, but he was a good player. I remember him out of college at Mississippi State. I, You know, he was the SEC player of the year. So I think Frankie kind of undersold him a little bit because he was a really good college player because he was one of the best players in the SEC. He might have not had the best hit, hitting tools, but he was a guy that was able to hit for average and power against some of the best arms in the country. So I think – he undersold Brent Rooker a little bit, and now we're seeing Brent Rooker producing at the big league level. When it comes to Berger, uh, the power has, especially this past year, he has followed through on that promise. Not so much with the plate discipline, though. He had a strikeout rate like over 30% before the trade. It got better after the trade with the Marlins, yet he's still a pretty aggressive hitter, even during the course of his minor league career as well. Um, he hasn't been... Uh, super patient up there. That is going to be a fascinating thing to follow with him moving forward is how much of his second half with the Miami is indicative of who he really is or how much of that was kind of uh, a hot streak at the perfect time for him. Uh, all things considered, Marlon's pretty thrilled with the way that that one worked out. Definitely. So and I remember Berger was, he was a, he was another small school guy played college ball, in Missouri state. So that could be another reason why they think, Oh, he's got great discipline. It might just be because he's able to get to every single ball that's thrown in because he's not seeing mid mid nineties consistently, and he's got great bat speed. So you know he might be able to just hey, I could cover a lot of the plate, and I don't want to get walked because that's what they're going to do. So I'm going to swing, and his his strikeout rate might be pretty low, but that's because, like I said, the competition he's facing against isn't elite competition, and now that he's in the big leagues. You know, he he really can't cover as much as he did in college because obviously the arms are way better. Right. Yeah, this is off topic a little bit, but we're this is in the midst of winter ball going on. And I'm the Marlins traded for Vidal Brujan last month. He's been amazing in winter ball. He's one of the league leaders in OBP over there and from among the league leaders in walks. And it's so hard to discern is he getting on base? 42% of the time just because he's facing inferior pitching and how much of that is an actual adjustment that he's made that will maybe make him more successful in the big leagues moving forward. Yeah. Winter ball is kind of in between high level college ball and the majors. So it fits in between there where it's, you never really know until you see how it looks at the highest level, how somebody's going to handle the best pitching stuff in the world because everything else kind of pales in comparison to that. Yeah, and look, Vidal was a top prospect at one point, so right. maybe the hope is now he's starting to get figure it out a little bit. Now the pros are starting to get there because I mean, when he hit, he hit in the minors, I think he's like a career two ninety hitter in the minors. He's got mm -hmm. great speed and he's a adequate glove, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So, I honestly, you know, as a Marlins fan, you're hoping that hey, you know what, he's starting to figure it out at least the approach part. We know his that when he puts the ball in play, he could do damage. So the final article we're looking at, this is his day two thoughts from the 2017 draft. Once again, from D1 Baseball. Another reminder that we'll upload these PDFs into our super subscriber section of the Marlins Discord server. But if you want, there are hundreds, hundreds of articles that Frankie wrote for D1 Baseball um, in those years before going back 
onto the team side, you should subscribe to d1baseball.com to get those. So in this case, he also looked at the just general themes of the day from rounds three through 10 in the 2017 draft. He highlighted uh, Frankie Tarnak, Freddie, Freddie Tarnak, Tarnock. I, I saw this guy pitch towards the end of the season, but he's now with the Oakland A's. This is when he was drafted with the Braves. He slapped a, a young Jacob deGrom comp on him as a, a late rising prospect. Just somebody that was ex extremely raw as a pitcher, but who had that potential as a converted position player. Once he gets more reps as a pitcher, he could figure it out. And so Tarnock has actually had some big league time last year. And what I saw from him was pretty electric that he showed. It's just that um, it's still a small sample with him. So the jury's still out on Freddie Tarnock, but um, Frankie Pilieri loved his upside coming out of the draft at the time. Um, and then he had a big section on the Marlins, thankfully. So this is one of the final things that we're going to cover here, highlighting the Marlins having a big day two of the draft. And this one did not age particularly well in the 2017 draft. He writes, the Marlins had a diverse and very intriguing hall of players from day two. They began the day by picking up advanced lefty bat Riley Mahan from Kentucky, who should be able to provide their system with a quick-moving college bat with some power. Spoiler alert, Riley Mahan has never reached the big leagues at this moment. I believe he's a free agent. He kind of got stuck at the double-A level, where he, he had some flashes at high A, at least when he was repeating high A, and he was a second baseman in this system for about five, six years, and just he could not get past that wall that he hit in the upper minors as a hitter. Um, Colton Hawk, their fourth round selection, Colton Hawk, who's a right-handed pitcher, may have been one of the best value picks of the entire day as the Stanford righty may be able to successfully transition to a starting role as a pro. Uh, unfortunately, Hawk also has not made it to the big leagues. He had been in the Marlins organization until this past year. Um, I, I was talking to him. He had a very bizarre nerve injury this past year that kind of wiped out his 2023 season. So maybe he could have snuck up um, if he had performed in AAA Jacksonville. He may have gotten a, a taste of the big leagues this past year. The idea of him as a starter, though, did not last very long. Uh, he had his most success in the pros as a one or two inning reliever at a time. And then Ryan Lilly, um, another arm that could have success as a starter as a professional. Lilly had an interesting 2018 season. I remember that. That kind of boosted his stock. And then the Marlins cashed in on him. They traded him for international signing bonus money, and they used that money to sign the Mesa brothers. That was part of their effort to get bonus money that year. Um, and then Lily, that was kind of the highlight of his pro career. He also, like a lot of these guys, hit a wall when he reached the, the high minors. He had to make some adjustments, and it just didn't quite work out for him. So all those guys from day two that uh, Pilieri was excited about uh, 0 for 3 in terms of guys that actually made it to uh, the big leagues right here. There's, and there's a final note at the end about Jake Mangum and another player, Tristan Beck, guys that were draft eligible that year but had seemingly decided to go back to school as it turns out mangum did wait two more years before turning pro eventually made it back to the marlin system and then was traded back to the rays uh in november uh, a month ago most recently um so that was uh yeah he he did he was high on what the marlins did that particular year i, I believe this was like the final year with what's his name stan meek fully at the helm of the marlins draft um, the Marlins did okay with their first pick in this draft game, Trevor Rogers, but almost everything after that, unfortunately, uh, flamed out a 
a little bit in here. I'm trying to see if uh, anybody else in this section jumps out to us here. But uh, yeah, I would say overall his 2016 takes were um, a little bit more prescient than 2017, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think the first part of the article um, mentioned Keegan Thompson. Isn't Keegan Thompson now a big leaguer? That's, I think so, yeah, with the Cubs. He was selected by the Cubs. I remember him. I need to double-check how effective he's been. I know he's been up in the big leagues the last few years, and now uh, he's a, a reliever at this point. But he was pretty good as a starter in 2022. I mean, respectable numbers, honestly. Like, I'm looking at his numbers. He's pitched the last two seasons. 2022, he was actually a starter, pitched 29 games, started 17 of them. Um, career 3.97 ERA, career um, 4.61 whip, so maybe a little bit of luck. But, I mean, for the most part, not a bad pitcher. I mean, a guy that's probably pretty serviceable. He's entering his age 29 season. So I think a guy that the Cubs are perfectly okay with, a guy that can be a solid middle of the rotation type arm for them. So... At least hey, Keegan looked up, looks pretty decent. At least, yeah. So should have given some bonus points for that one then, in terms of yeah. these uh, day two takes for sure. Uh, yeah, another reminder here that this is from from all those years ago. So even though it's great that we can see most of these results now come to life in the upper minors and the big leagues, I'm sure there have been some lessons learned and that he's taken some steps forward as an evaluator even since then. Um, in ways that yeah, we'll never know for sure about. Um, but I'd be interested in talking to him in the future. Maybe as the spring season gets going, we'll have a chance to get him on the pod. I should be clear that this is not an official announcement yet. It was first reported by Craig Mish, and it was confirmed by a couple other reporters that this is happening. The Marlins themselves haven't announced his, his hiring at the moment. But once that is official, it'd be uh, eager to talk to him. The last thing I wanted to finish out with you, Hector, is the 2024 draft coming up. Marlon's the 16th overall pick. We finally have the draft order that is firmly set coming out of the draft lottery in the winter meetings. We've already seen a couple of mock drafts come out. Baseball America had the Marlins linked with catcher Jacob Kozar from NC State. And just today, as we're recording this on Friday the 15th, Pipeline put out their mock draft with a prep outfielder, PJ Morlando going to the Marlins at the 16th overall pick to, to help everybody at home. We took a snapshot of pipelines prospects that they have mid round rankings for from number 13 to number 19. Morlando was number 14 on there. Yeah. What, this is lower than the Marlins typically pick. This is just where they were a few years ago in 2021 coming off that postseason appearance. So it's um, not quite as sexy as when we usually look forward to a first round pick with this Marlins team, because it depends on who exactly falls them at this stage, you know, based on what we know coming off of the fall season, are there any particular targets that you're at this stage kind of interested in and think could be nice fits for the Marlins? One guy that I would really be interested in seeing is the, the potential of Chase Burns out of Wake Forest. This is a guy that could very well be the best pitcher in college baseball. I mean, I think he has the best slider in college baseball, has a big-time fastball, has reached in the triple digits as high as 102 miles per hour. And that's saying a lot that I think his slider is better. I think 
you're going to get a slider that sits in the mid to upper eight, upper 80s, generates a lot of swing and miss. Guy pitched in the SEC, and biggest issue was didn't have a lot of control, didn't really have a third pitch. He's still trying to develop that changeup, but honestly, that seems to be like the type of guy that the Marlins like to go after, a guy that has that power fastball, has a great you know, breaking pitch, and then you develop the third pitch and hope to fix some of the command. So maybe Chase Burns would be that option. Wake Forest, this will be a tough test. Wake Forest has a small field. So he's going from the University of Tennessee. He just transferred. He was at UT the last two years, was actually one of their starters when they were the number one team in the country a couple of years ago. He was there as a freshman. He was in their rotation. And because of command issues, actually ended up becoming a bullpen arm for them. But I still look at the value. I still look at the arm talent. This is a guy that a lot of people thought when he hit the portal was going to end up at Vanderbilt. Ended up surprising a lot of people going to Wake Forest. They were one of the top teams in the country last year. They had one of the top pitchers in the draft class last year, a guy that I was very high on. So it'll be interesting to see what the development's like for him at Wake Forest. Um, the only thing I'll say is, like, don't let the numbers fool you. This ballpark is, like, 310 feet down the pole. So there's high school fields that are bigger than Wake Forest. So, you know, if he gives up a lot of home runs, just look to see how many of those are in, the, are in his ballpark because those some of those home runs might be routine flyouts. And let's say at the U or FSU, and they're carrying over the fence because Wake Forest plays in a, you know, they play in a, freaking cooperstown <laughs> and well, at least at this stage from what we know about um frankie pilieri is that the mariners have had quite a bit of success with drafting pitchers starting pitchers uh in recent years while he's been there how much influence he had as an assistant we don't know but they george kirby to give one bryce miller logan uh, gilbert logan gilbert that must have been pretty early on in his stint there and uh brian even brian Wu, that was another rookie that debuted this past year that they drafted just in 2021 so they have yeah very good track record there of in a similar way that the marlins do we've the marlins get a lot of hype for the way that they develop their own pitchers um that doesn't mean they're the only one that has that kind of reputation the mariners have earned that as well with them and it's uh yeah, it's an interesting match even though it's some of this as we talked about at the start of the show, you know, the Marlins need to take change with their whole draft process. Too many good opportunities, early round picks that just didn't pan out and they weren't getting the value that they were supposed to over there. So this will be anxious to see exactly what it is that Frankie changes here. The draft's still almost seven months away, but as it gets closer, yeah, we will have plenty of coverage for that here on Fish on First about all things Marlins going on here. So with Eli Sussman, Hector Rodriguez right here. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in to uh, the official show and hope you tune into uh, the rest of the stuff that we're doing. Yeah. Hopefully the hiring is official by the time this episode comes out, but we have, we have enough smoke out there. We have some signs. Uh, as soon as the thing was reported, Frankie Pilieri made his Twitter account private, but I snuck in there right before he did that. So I think that's a interesting hint that he may be going to a more prominent position within organization and, and doesn't want any of his stuff dug up that, like that. Uh, either way, uh, a pretty exciting hire. Thanks to Hector for uh, coming on here with me, and we'll have additional coverage of this up on the site. So go ahead and check that out, fishonfirst.com. Uh, appreciate everybody. 
as always, go fish.